Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is a cold opening. This is what those in the business call the cold opening. We are live from Studio A at Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., the heart of your nation's capital. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. Actually, we're changing that moniker, but this is Backroom Politics. I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell, joining me in studio as they do every time we record this show. He is the former Undersecretary for International Trade. He is the one we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And also joining us in studio, which is a really big surprise, she is the former attorney for the 2016 Hillary Clinton campaign. She is also big-time Wall Street lawyer now. She is the one we know as Sharmila Chari. Hi, Sharmila. Hi, Justin Welcome into studio. This is awesome. I'm so happy to be here. This is awesome. Uh, Of course, uh, doing Baby Shark for us, thank you very much, Rob the Engineer, for finding that. Uh, Now, you're probably wondering, and of course, we have to do... Eric, our producer, Eric Thomas, and, uh, oh, what am I doing? You know what? I owe you an apology. Rich Rubino, he is the author of such books as American Politics on the Rocks. He is the man we know as Rich Rubino. Hello, Richard. Hello. You can. Uh, I'll expiate you for your sin. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. I am so sorry about that. You know, this is what happens when we try and get creative and we try and do a cold opening. It just doesn't work. You but, can have a week of atonement now. Yeah. Oh, trust me. There'll be plenty of that. Hey, uh, you're wondering why we're doing the cold opening with Baby Shark. This is in celebration, in case you haven't seen it. Our home team is the Washington Nationals here in the nation's capital. The Washington Nationals have surprised everybody, including many in Washington, by going to the World Series. Uh, We want to just say good luck to the Nationals. Finish the fight. That is a hashtag. And uh, we're going to be watching Game 1. We record this on a Tuesday, so we're going to be watching Game 1 versus the Houston Astros tonight. So anyway, that being said, let's get down to the real politics, the real nitty-gritty. It, you know, every time we wake up in the morning now, there is something new going on. There is absolutely something mind blowing you can't figure out. We've got so much, and they tie into each other for this podcast. It is, uh, let, I mean, let's start off with obviously, this involves the impeachment proceedings that are happening in the House right now. The, uh, in case you missed it, there have been a series of interviews by key figures in the State Department and key figures involved with uh, the issue regarding Ukraine and the interaction with the infamous phone call. Was their money withheld? Was there a quid pro quo? Well, along with the associates, which we covered in one of our previous episodes, the associates of outside lawyer uh, for Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, being arrested at airports on their way on one-way tickets to Europe, uh, they thought they would do some damage control by having acting chief of staff and, is he still acting OMB director too, I guess, Alan? Because that's a weird situation. I think think he is the OMB OMB director director and acting chief of staff. But he's not playing that role. There's an acting OMB director who is serving in that that actual capacity. capacity. Where are we going with this? So uh, acting chief of staff uh, Mick Mulvaney decided it would be a good idea last uh, last week to go into the Washington press room or the White House press room and have a presser with the White House 
Correspondence Corps. The uh, it did not go according to plan, including the fact that uh, Mick Mulvaney pretty much just told in a very blatant statement that yeah there was yeah we withheld money because we needed political favors and by the way you know get over it. it, it Careful! Don't go I'm Adam. Paraphrasing. Don't I'm, exactly. Don't go Adam Schiff. I'm on not going us total Adam Schiff because when you start paraphrasing and get stuff wrong, you fall into the Adam Schiff. The trap. Adam Schiff. Okay, but, but but also don't forget that he said everyone does it. Everyone does it. That's true. That is true. Uh, this started a whole storm within the dumpster fire that is going on in politics in Washington. Uh, in, almost immediately, there was backlash from both Republicans and Democrats. Uh, oh, and by the way, this press conference also, he announced the fact that they were going to have the G7 at the Trump Resort in Doral at my, in Miami, Florida, which, again, caused another bipartisan response that echoed throughout the halls of Washington, D.C., this all ties into the impeachment hearing, but let's start with Mick Mulvaney because we we we're, we have a whole hour to talk about the responses by the president, including that stupid thing we call the Constitution. He hates that stupid emoluments clause. It, it, it it's just a bizarre situation going on here in Washington. Uh, Alan Moore, I don't know if you saw the actual presser that was going on. Uh, Mick Mulvaney's statement was pretty glaring, and he was given multiple opportunities by John Carl from ABC News to walk it back, and he doubled down, it seemed. Well, I didn't see it as a double down, but what remember, first of all, it was not a, it was not a press conference. Uh, we don't do those anymore. It was a press briefing, and Mulvaney, every now and then, will go out before the press in the room where they used to have actual press conferences um, and daily press briefings. He went out there to talk about the G7 decision to use the Trump property in Florida because it was he, he knew that was going to be a, a sensitive, controversial issue, and he decided that he would be the one to go out and take the flak. That was the primary purpose of the briefing, but within short order— when the press started asking other questions, um, the aforementioned uh, uh, John Carl of ABC said, so, uh, uh, Mr. Acting Chief of Staff, Mr. Mulvaney, um, what can you tell us about why the $400 million in mostly military assistance for Ukraine was held up, uh, was held back? And, and it was there that Mulvaney said there were Three reasons. Right. Um, corruption in the government, a question of, of the Ukrainian government, of longstanding corruption. Um, secondly, a question about whether other uh, European countries were actually doing uh, a reasonable amount of, of, of support. Right. And third, the president's interest in uh, having the, uh, the Ukrainian government support a purported Department of Justice investigation into what occurred in 2016 with the Russians or the Ukrainians and and computer servers. So he mentioned the three. Right. He didn't mention Biden, that issue. He only mentioned those three, at which point Jonathan Carl said, well, wait a minute. If 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 you're including the the, the, third 2016, item. the 2016 election, is that not a quid pro quo. 
Now, at that point, Mulvaney said, instead of saying, he never used the word quid pro quo himself, which he he tried to rely on later as he walked back the clear meaning of what everybody saw when they watched it, which was, hey, we do that kind of thing all the time in foreign affairs. Get Get over over it. it. Right. And and then there was a, a little bit of follow-on conversation. He did make the point very explicitly. He said, I'm not talking about the Bidens. That was not part of any of this conversation. Um, meanwhile, after the fact, within within minutes, it was all reported that, that Mick Mulvaney, <laughs> acting chief of staff, had confirmed that right. there was a quid pro quo regarding looking back politically. Right. And within five hours, Mulvaney was trying to do a, you know, a Michael Jackson backward walk to say, no, 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 I didn't ever say that, that you fake news people are putting words in my mouth. Right, but but Sharmila, I mean, you know, I I watch this live and I watch Jonathan Carl say to him, you know, this is, you know, are you sure? Because this is quid pro quo. And... Again, he came back with an answer that pretty much laid out the whole point of the impeachment investigation. How is it that how is it that the walk back and Republicans aren't exactly jumping on this going, wait, wait a minute, we gotta push back on this. We want no part of this. They seem to be backing up saying, eh, maybe it happens all the time. I mean, you'd have to ask the Republican in the room, but to me, and I think, you know, to 50% of the American public, it absolutely said, it absolutely sounded like, as you said, Mick Mulvaney essentially saying, yes, we engage in quid pro quo, maybe not regarding this current investigation we won't launch into the Bidens, regarding a previous investigation into, which makes it more, which honestly makes it more absurd. It is a investigation into the president's previous political opponent, who is no longer his political opponent. Right, right. <laughs> which, may, which again, elevates this thing to a whole new level of just ludicrous. Rich Rubino, you know, when we, when we hear that, and, and of course, you know, Mick Mulvaney did the talking head circuit. He went on with Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday uh, the past weekend and basically said, uh, well, I stated two reasons. Is, is is it is are we missing something or does does the White House really believe that we will buy whatever thirty seconds are put in front of us and we have very short attention span? Probably, um, to put it bluntly, I think that he also knows that there's the the president's base, about forty percent of the country, as Sam Donaldson suggested uh, last week, essentially will basically support him on pretty much anything. And I think that they know that, and I think that people will say, well, it comes up with some sort of a justification, you know, as soon as, this, as, soon as the phone call with the, Ukrainian, with the Ukrainian prime minister broke, for example, um, it essentially what came out in the United States was, well, what, look at what he, they kind of deflected and said, well, look at Joe Biden, look at what's happening with Hunter Biden. And they would say, well, essentially, it's kind of the everyone does it defense, so what about ism? You say, well, this happens, but what about this? And I think that in the case of um, in the case of Mick Mulvaney, what he was essentially saying is, well, if this, it, well, if this is what happened in this case, I mean, you know, other presidents have probably done this before, and he can probably, he probably could point to other examples where it's happened. But unfortunately, I think that, I, I think that he, I think that that he was, he was going off script in that sense. 
So the next few days, it was all about damage control, but it's still staying in the psyche of a lot of the American people. And John Kasich, for example, the former governor of Ohio, used this as kind of a reason to say that he now supports an impeachment inquiry of the president. So, you know, I don't think he did, he did himself any favors. He's clearly this is not... You know, there's a reason, for example, why Harry Reid, when he first became Senate, Senate Minority Leader, then Senate Majority Leader, did very few press conferences because he wasn't good at it. So he had Dick Durb and he had others do that. In Mick Mulvaney's case, he's not very good on staying on message. I think the best answer would be to say something to the effect of, well, you know, this is true, but, you know, I'm really here to talk, I'm really here to talk about something else. And then it is kind of deflect and go back to it. But he actually answered the question. He answered, he answered the question in the next few days. That's all people are essentially talking about. And it's probably very hard particularly imagine being you know, a moderate, moderate Republican congressman, someone like Fred Upton in Michigan, going back to his constituents and trying to defend this. So you know, this could be on the precipice of perhaps some Republicans, maybe Bill Hurd of Texas, for example, who's retiring, um, perhaps saying that they, maybe we should now have an impeachment increase. So he certainly did himself no favors, to uh, put it bluntly. Charmaine. So I was going to say, Rich actually, I think, hit on an important point that goes to your previous question, which is why more Republicans aren't coming out of the woodwork and questioning Mulvaney, right? What Rich said was that, you know, what Rich pointed to was essentially Democrats have given, you know, since 2017, Democrats have given Republican supporters of Trump, even unwilling or kind of, you know, reluctant supporters of Trump, credibility in not kind of calling out a lot of Trump's and his surrogates nonsense when it occurs because, They say, look, Democrats have always had it out for the president. They've been looking for any excuse to go after him. And so and this just became, you know, any slip up, any kind of small thing they they latch onto, Right. And so I think, you know, Democrats and again, you can't go back and change history. But the fact that so many Democrats and look, this came because of the vitriol felt by Democratic voters. Right. But the fact that so many Democratic lawmakers from the beginning were against Trump and looking for ways to undermine his presidency and looking for ways to remove him from office, even, you know, before his first day in office, gives a lot of, gives Trump supporters a lot of fuel to ignore kind of things like this, which they see as, you know, items on the margin. Alan Moore. No, I, I, I agree with Sharmila. I, I think this narrative was put into place um, before the election and immediately thereafter. Um, and the, it, it is no it is no defense of of the president to point out the fact that there have been <laughs> uh, many instances of Democrats and uh, oftentimes the press going after the president every single time on any and every issue that emerges, um, often with good reason. But not always, and often, though, with with exaggerated um, sky is falling rhetoric, in the in the face of an improved, a, a more rapidly improving economy, um, questions about uh, where Democrats stood on the on on immigration policy, we have this president who tapped into half a dozen issues that many, many Americans felt very strongly about and felt were being ignored. Now, he did it in often ugly, uh, crass, coarse, uninformed ways. Um, but, but, but even his style had appeal but, to, some, to some of these right, folks. But that being said, though, the, the, the stuff that the media 
has jumped on him on. I mean, let's look at the major items. Part a major, a good chunk of it, rather, was surrounding the issues of the Mueller report. You know, was there obstruction of justice and abuse of power by the Oval Office in the firing of James Comey? Was there some sort of collusion or coordinated effort between the White House, or I'm sorry, the Trump campaign? and Russian operatives. Was there, I mean, the the stuff they're jumping on him, you know, they've never really proven. Now, understand, the Democrats haven't been able to show proof either, but they have, there's been no proof put out there that Trump actually did this. The only proof we have is in the Mueller investigation, and that evidence is locked up at DOJ right now, not to be released. (laughs) And is inconclusive. Right. (laughs) <laughs> right, we've been through this before. We have several hundred pages of Mueller report, um, so I don't think we can say that the evidence is all locked up. Remember, the the original purpose of the Mueller report was to look for collusion. Right when they went, and that was the at the heart of it. Did the Russians, with the president or his campaign's cooperation, work together to undercut? Uh, Hillary Clinton and get Trump elected. That was the focus. This so outraged the president that he proceeded on a systematic, uncontrolled, uninformed way to try to obstruct what he thought was a completely, totally politically driven, bogus investigation. So, which leads us to Ukraine. Well, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, you, 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 you. You talked about obstruction first and then collusion. This was about collusion. Mueller was about collusion. As they dug in and and investigated, they found all of this other obstruction stuff, which some people say, oh, it was the cover-up, not the original charge. It's it, it it's right. sort of like that, all but right, it's I'll not give, really like I'll, that. All right, I'll I'm just saying. No, so, 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 but, but, but in his Wait. mind, in the president's mind, he was try- he thought the entire thing was bogus he saw no no impediment no reason to be to show any restraint in trying to stop what he considered to be this illegal dishonest investigation now he has the ability he creates his own illegal dishonest investigation to be an idiot who will not listen to <laughs> to advice of people around him saying, Mr. President, let it go. Mr. President, let it go. Leave it alone. And in his mind, I know what I'm doing. I'm smarter than everybody else in the room. This is wrong. I'm going to fight it with tooth and nail every way I can. Don't tell me what the law is. I know what the law should be. Which comes across, of course, as, you know, me thinks the lady doth protest too much, right? right. Go ahead. Go ahead, Charmla. By firing Comey, he sent into, you know, he set into motion a chain of events, which made it seem like there was some sort of cover-up that he was, or there was some sort of crime that he was trying to cover up, right? Right. And because, but, as but, Alan said, the cover-up is always worse but than the crime. But here's the thing is, yeah, people swarmed like flies to is worse than the impropriety. Right, Rich is right. But here, here's the thing is, though, this started a, a series of what the president thinks is unfair persecution by the fake news media, in his words, to bring him down or subvert some sort of coup against his administration and in conjunction with the Democrats, it it almost seems that his paranoia is continuing to drive his what what could be just a bad news day into what we're seeing now is an impeachment inquiry. And the question I put out there, and I'll start with Rich Rubino, is 
are we starting to see smoking guns now? Uh, I think it's a matter of interpretation right now. I don't say I don't think you would say a smoking gun like, for example, the Nixon tape where he essentially essentially where it was it was essentially you know a smoking gun that he'd actually said that there was going to be a cover up. I don't see that specifically, but I think we're on the kind of we're on this kind of slippery slope. You know, for Donald Trump, it seems to be a death by ten ten thousand cuts every day. There's something more, something more, and he tends to kind of precipitate and to play into it. But I don't think we're necessarily there yet. But, I mean, you know, the best thing for the Democrats, though, is that this just drags out more and more and more, and every day more and more comes out. And as that happens, the president loses more and more support. You wonder, would they rather run against, I mean, going for 2020, would they rather run against an enfeebled Donald Trump or potentially a politically at least healthy Mike Pence that could at least bring out some regular, some of the Republican regular voters um, and not, not necessarily to have them be, you know, um, disenchanted. So, I mean, I think that's what they really would like, not necessarily to see him, even to see him impeached, then not convicted, and then they can say that, you know, the Republicans are working against you. So it's probably in their political advantage for him to be as weakened as possible without actually egressing from office. Alan Moore? Yeah, I wanted to say something, uh, remind us that, that although we're talking about Mulvaney here, and he's a guy who should never ever be allowed <laughs> to go into that press room and to speak. Um, but, uh, From what I'm hearing, that part, he won't be in the White partly, House that long. Partly because, partly because he's he's actually a pretty smart guy, but like our president... That's what surprises but, me. But like our president, he thinks he's a lot smarter than he actually is. Oh, that, and that's he's true. not good at this <laughs> stuff. He's not disciplined at keeping to the talking points. He thinks, I know all about this stuff. I know how it should be played. And then look what he steps in. But but what I, but what we're talking about Mulvaney. We're talking about Mulvaney, who initially copped to a look back into 2016 as being a, a something we were applying pressure to get, call it a quid pro quo, uh, if you like. But it was a look back. It, it's not without some potential influence in this election, but it was a look back. Very different than trying to undercut uh, or do damage to to Joe Biden. All right, now, but, 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 but but today, just today, and we mean by today our, we mean Tuesday, Tuesday when we recorded this. The, the, yes, the day that the that the first day of the World Series. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're sorry for the digression, right. but Washington has to face baby shark Altuve of the Astros. Good luck what? with that. How did you tie so, this in? So, <laughs> how did you tie this in? I'm glad someone you, explained it to me. I, 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 you, where you are you going with this? You insisted on, on, on making a point of, of the date. Earlier today, the acting ambassador to Ukraine, yep. a man named William Taylor, a former ambassador to the Ukraine, a native speaker, right. um, uh, who is extraordinarily knowledgeable and is, works works <laughs> out of government. He was a, he was a career uh, foreign service officer. He's been the ambassador. He testified today behind closed doors to the three committees. You want to talk about to somebody who knows about quid pro quos and what was and was not said about Joe Biden, Hunter Biden investigations of this company. He knows he's he had a 15 page opening statement that apparently had people in the room so, shaking their heads when, in amazement. Right. That's way more real than what 
what <laughs> what, what, what Mick Mulvaney, Mulvaney says or doesn't say room. or backs off of. I'm not saying that's insignificant, but it's bigger. But what know, occurred but, today, but, and we will know before this, we're though, done. But admit this: this Sharmila is one more dot. To Alan's point, it's a big dot. But it's one more dot in connecting all the dots to show that there was allegedly abuse of power and uh, possible violations of everything from FARA to a variety of other laws that have been perpetrated by this administration. Look, I, I agree with Alan. It's a pale dot, especially compared with the testimony of all these State Department officials, including no, no, no. some but what Trump I'm appointees is, and supporters. Is, no, but no, the I, look, Mulvaney into the, yes, into the testimony. But, uh, to your point, I agree. It is a dot, a pale dot, but it's a dot. But to be honest, hearing hearing this conversation honestly, you know, re re triggered my you know, not to be glib, but my PTSD from 2016 when we thought we were coming up against a weakened Donald Trump, who you know, in addition to all the racist, you know, xenophobic, you know, bat blank crazy things. You know, he sat on the campaign trail, then had the Access Hollywood tape, you know, thrown yeah, down as the ace card. That seems like a lifetime ago. Right. But what I'm saying is that every time this mountain of evidence, this mountain of, you know, dirt, for lack of a better term, comes down on Donald Trump's shoulders, right. he always manages to bust through it, right? Because right, well, so much of this is baked into the cake of Donald well, Trump. Well, we want to, we're going to, we're going to leave Mick Mulvaney because, well, we're going to continue the discussion here. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, the latest in the impeachment inquiry and then also the G7 comments. It, there's just so much going on. You can't cover it all in one hour podcast. Uh, this is Backroom Politics. Stay with us. man is like a heart that's good for nothing. I found him out, had a showdown When I think of him, how much I love him I get a desperate notion That's the way I feel today My heart is aching Because he's making a plaything of my devotion That's the way I feel today Without any reason Or a word to say That man turned his keys in He packed and went away What good is living I'll soon be giving my body that's the way I feel today
from Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And we're back as we celebrate the Nationals. Stay in the fight, also a hashtag. Uh, it is the best podcast you've never downloaded. It is Backroom Politics. What we are talking about is... Uh, impeachment, the dumpster fire that is the political scene here in D.C. right now. It is all over the place. Uh, right before the break, Alan Moore was talking about uh, the the happenings, the actually breaking news this afternoon as we are here recording this on a Tuesday, where we saw uh, Bill Taylor, who was the president's envoy to Ukraine. Still is. Still is. I, I thought he he had not resigned. He still is the president's envoy to Kiev, uh, who replaced the ousted ambassador uh, Yagolovich. Yovanovich. Oh, I'm sorry? Yovanovich. 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 I keep saying Yagolovich. It's Yovanovich. Um, he appeared today in front of the three committees that are overseeing the impeachment inquiry in the Capitol. And according to reports coming out of NBC, our friends at NBC, uh, Democrats are saying that he drew a direct line to the Oval Office in his knowledge of withholding funds for Ukraine in response or in either quid pro quo or as some sort of deal to be part of this investigation into Joe Biden and uh, Hunter Biden and even this lost email server that everybody keeps talking about. Uh, Alan Moore, I mean, we, we've seen other diplomats surprise everybody, like you said during the break. They show up, which is kind of surprising, but it seems that uh, Ambassador Taylor is really kind of making either a statement or putting a wrench in the works in the White House. There are plenty of wrenches. Uh, we don't know what has been in the testimony of all these people. We get little reports. The, right. pe- the people in the room, members of three different committees, both Republicans and Democrats, and some number of staff, a lot of potential people. Um, most most of the members of those committees don't even go to these or stay there all that long. When you've got an eight- or nine-hour deposition, you, people will drop by and listen for a while and ask a question or two. They, they'll, they'll have an, an hour where the Democrats ask and an hour for the Republicans to ask, so you can really dig in and get stuff in depth. Um, but there's no lawyers permitted. It's very much like a grand jury uh, uh, operation, and it's all super secret, and everybody is sworn to secrecy. Now, people do come out and make little comments or will we'll have comments attributed, but the whole point here is that that nobody wants the next witness to know what the previous witness or witnesses have said. It's 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 one of the reasons that the, we have a grand jury process in in the U.S. so that you can you can have a secret process before you bring everything out into the public. This has become controversial. Republicans from the president uh, and some of his supporters are saying, "I've never heard of a process where you uh, where you can't have legal representation, it, it, you can't you can't have departmental uh, lawyers present, and so on." But it, it, but in the, in times past, we've we've in the Nixon uh, in the Nixon impeachment process. We had uh, the Archibald Cox, uh, later Leon Jaworski-led investigation 
prior to the hearings in the in the Clinton uh, uh, impeachment. Right. It, it started with a, a massive Ken Starr investigation that was all secret before anything became public. Right. And so, so, so Rich Rubino, you know, hearing hearing Allen's point, but we're also getting indications from several members, including up your way, Representative Stephen Lynch, a Democrat from Massachusetts, said, quote, uh, without question, unquote, it was the most powerful testimony he'd heard to date, saying that Taylor has, quote, unquote, firsthand knowledge of the relevant conversations. Uh, Here's the problem that I have is Democrats have overplayed their hand where they can take a possible straight flush and get a crap hand out of it just by overhyping it. Are we still seeing the Democrats overhype it or are they going to learn their lesson and saying, look, let the evidence speak. We're going to do more for the process by letting the evidence speak for itself in the right time in the right place. Yeah, I think it's almost like the president's trying to goad them into going to, into going too far. I think what Nancy Pelosi, though, and she realizes, you know, as I say, even though she comes from even though she comes from an overwhelmingly Democratic district, she realizes that the only reason, the only way that Dem- the reason the Democrats are in control right now is because in 2018 they wrote on the economy, they ran on health care, they ran on trade, they did not run on impeachment. So that's why she's being so judicious about this. But you know, I think I do agree with it that the best the best possible approach the Democrats can take is essentially to say let the let's let the process play out and then listen to the testimony and then essentially have the American and then essentially have the American people um, decide in the way of poll numbers and then you'll see eventually you're going to see some Republicans break kind of breaking you start. Um, interestingly, with the whole issue of the turkey and the courage last last week, you start John Skimkis from uh, from Illinois, for example, being the first Republican to essentially say that he would absolutely not endorse Donald Trump for re-election. Of course, Justin Amish had already has already become an independent. Um, he was the first one to call for impeachment. But I think that that's exactly what they need to do. You have to, in a sense, you have to underpromise and overperform. And I think that's what um, that, I think that's what the, at least the, the leadership of the Democratic Party wants to do. Now that being said. Um, while, the, while the Democratic intelligentsia has done to do one thing, I think you also have kind of the base of the Democratic Party, and I think what they want, what they want is a lot more. Is essentially they, you know, they want to convict them, they want to fry them, they want to do everything else. But you know that could certainly come back to haunt them because the American people are right, are split on this right now. Right. And you know it's kind of interesting when you ask the poll, you ask, do you support impeachment? But how many people actually know? What, a lot of people are saying yes, but how many people do actually know what impeachment is versus conviction? Right. It's going to be a great civic lesson, certainly in the Bali politic in the next year or so. But that's what they want to do. They just want to let this process play out. And certainly the grown-ups in the room, the leadership of the Democratic Party would say, just let this process play out and don't overplay your hand. And I think Al- Trump wants them to overplay their hand. Right. Alan Moore, uh, Representative Mark Meadows of North Carolina, came out of the hearing today with, uh, with Ambassador Taylor. And he was quoted as saying, nothing new here. Um, it, it, it almost seems... It, it, go ahead. It, go ahead. No, but it also, it, it, it seems very much where the Democrats are overhyping. You've got Republicans like Meadows who are underhyping it. And it seems like somewhere in the middle might be the truth of where this investigation is going to go. Who does that in the middle where the truth is benefit? Does it benefit Republicans or Democrats? Well, it's a good question because let's suppose for the, for the sake of discussion that, that we can establish per, with, with, with considerable certainty 
that there was a quid pro quo, that the president made it clear and his uh, and his his hand-picked uh, consultant on this, Rudy Giuliani, who in many ways was kind of appeared to be leading the president into some of this by convincing him of what the Ukrainians did and did not know and had and had not done, that that we can establish, let's suppose we can establish that the president said, I don't want to give them that money unless they agree to these uh, to, to these investigations. And that that any argument that there was, quote, no quid pro quo basically disappears. Let's let's just assume that we establish it. Most uh, most Americans, including, I think, probably most Republicans would say, is the president capable of doing this? Is this the way he tends to operate? Oh, yeah. People would say, are you surprised if this is what he did? No. Is it an impeachable offense? And then you get into the point Rich was making. People don't really understand what that means because they, in their mind, they think of impeachment, impeachment meaning removal. removal. Right. But but is it an impeachable offense? It's it's probably against the law, against against federal election laws. We've talked about in in the past. It it's it's a powerful argument for an abuse of power. Those are the two kind of uh, combined issues that that historically have 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 come to pass. So let's assume that. The, the conclusion is, yep, illegal, yep, abuse of power. Hence, there will be an article of impeachment that will right. get a majority in the House. It will come to the Senate. Is that sin or those sets of sins of abuse of power and breach of law enough to gain removal? That's the heart but, but here, of the question, the question ultimately is, and, and 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 I don't see the the Republicans, whatever they might think about Trump and whatever they say about Trump, uh, I don't see th- them. And I I think some Democrats in the Senate would have would would have trouble too. We'll see about that. But, but again, we don't voting, know the voting for removal. We haven't seen we haven't seen everything that's out there. But right. all I'm saying is, suppose that with regard to Ukraine, it's about as bad as it appears that it might be. Is, is that, that a removable offense for removal? I don't think so. Really? Well, I think Alan hits on a good point, right? Which is what I was trying to say earlier. I think his analysis is spot on, right? People say, okay, is this is is it in his character to have, you know, abused power this way? Yeah, probably. But again, baked into the cake with Donald Trump. And so then when you come to the question of, okay, yeah, he probably did it. Is it worth removing over? I don't think so. Right. Like we kind of knew this going in that this is the kind of operator he was. Right. This is who I voted for. This is who the American people wanted to be in to sit in this office. And I think the distinction is, I think, you know, a good analogy for the um, the thought process of Republicans and and Democrats behind the, uh, the the removal trial in the Senate would be if you think about O.J. Simpson's second trial for when he stole that football memorabilia. Right. He was essentially, you know, I think he was given some really disproportionate sentence, like 15 to 20 years in prison. Right. And you know that part of that was because there were jurors who believed that he escaped justice in, you know, his first trial, which, you know, was a much more severe crime that he was accused of. But, okay, and but, so but, and so the punishment that kind of followed was disproportionate because he was being punished for that in in addition to the, the crime he was actually being convicted all right, of. All right, but, and so I think for. The analogy extends to the Senate trial, which is, you know, Alan is saying that Republicans will look at this on the merits of this one charge of, you know, 
is the abuse of power that he is, you know, accused of committing worth throwing him out of office? And he, they'll decide on this one issue, thing, whereas Democrats he, will decide on this, plus the entire host of issues that they thought made him unfit for office in the first place. Well, no, no, but, but here's the thing, though, is, you know, when you look at... When you look at the Mueller, you know, the release of the Mueller report and everybody talking about impeachment inquiry, impeachment inquiry, <clears throat> excuse me, there was maybe a 45% of Americans would support impeachment proceedings. Now, after the release of the whistleblower report, the transcripts and the progression of what we've seen to date, that number has grown, although small, it has now grown from what was at 45% now to what in some polls are 54% saying impeach and remove the president for these issues. I guess the question now becomes is when do Republicans realize and have the, you know, the, the Oval Office meeting like they had with Richard Nixon – when do they have this meeting with the president saying, look, your position right now is tenuous. You can either retire and say, I made my mark, I'm done, I don't need this, I'm being persecuted, or say, look, you're going to lose votes possibly in the Senate if this goes up, the more and more we find out. Yeah, well, that, I think, um, I'm sorry. No, Richard Bino and then uh, Sharmila. Yeah, it was interesting. The meeting you're talking about, that was when essentially John Rhodes, who was the minority leader in the House from Arizona, right. um, he, and then you had Hugh Scott, the, minor, the, minor, the minority leader in the United States Senate, and they brought Barry Goldwater, who was kind of the face of the conservative movement in the Republican Party. They went to him that time, and essentially what they said was that if he, that this was after, this was when the Judiciary Committee had essentially voted out articles of impeachment. It was going to the full House, the full House, the Democratic House, inevitably would have voted for the uh, would have voted to, to impeach and then it would have gone to the Senate and he said Bill Goldwater said right now you have four votes in the Republican caucus four votes that's including perhaps you might also have two conservative Democrats who voted for you and that's all and I'm not one of them so when they told him that and right now the Republican right now Donald Trump is nowhere near that so when they told him that you know he saw the hand running on the wall he was obviously I think he'd already decided that there was no possibility that he was going to survive impeachment and conviction so he might as well resign Right now, in terms of Donald Trump, if he does, if he were to get impeached in the House of Representatives, and it does get in Democratic House, and it does go to the Senate, um, I can only think of who would vote. Who, I mean, maybe you can make a case that Mitt Romney would maybe vote for, would maybe vote in favor um, on the Democratic side. I would guess some folks, some people in conservative states, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, would probably vote against it. Um, maybe if something comes out, Susan Collins is up for re-election in Maine, would vote for it. But you need a lot more votes than that. Um, to be for him to be convicted, so they're, they're nowhere near where that meeting would have to happen. I'm sure there are a lot of there are a lot of members of the Republican High Command right now that would like to have that meeting to get him out of office, but it's nowhere near the there's nowhere near the support with the American people. And also, when Richard Nixon when that, when it came down to that meeting with Barry Goldwater and the other two, Richard Nixon's job approval rating was down to 24 percent. You know, Donald Trump right now is at least at around 40 percent, which is not it's certainly not good, but it's at least respect. It's at least respectable. And he does have a base of support that's essentially willing to do just about anything right. for him. So let me ask this question, Alan Moore. Is there I mean, literally, if, if this had been a Democratic president and a Republican run Congress with or a Republican House and a Senate uh, run by the Democrats, 
does do the tables reverse or are we are we in some sort of weird tic-tac-toe no, I, I don't think that one can draw broad conclusions from this particular circumstance. I, I think it, it, it is, it, it's truly unique. Uh, the, then where's the, the tripwire? It, it, it's going to have to be more than, the, than proving that this president did what people would not be surprised if he actually did. It has to be, there has to be some bigger lie. And uh, for when you talk about the, the numbers, and the numbers I think are close to 60 now that, that, that support an inquiry, but, but all the movement has come from some Democrats who felt that, that, that uh, Speaker Pelosi was right. Let's hold back, let's hold back, let's hold back, but then said, like some of her moderates, it's time to move. A bunch of independents who were in the same boat and a handful of maybe as many as 5% of Republicans. But you, you, you have 85 to 90% of Republicans opposed to an inquiry. And, and <laughs> if you're a Republican office holder re- hoping to get reelected uh, at some point when, you're, when, when the time comes up again, um, it's pretty hard to say, hey, you 85 to 90 percent of the people in my state uh, who are almost certainly going to vote for me if you don't vote for a more conservative alternative, you don't know what you're talking about. I do. And here and, and here's the finger for you. And 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 especially because of the nature of this particular sin, we talk about cover-ups. This sin is is out there for the world to see. It was the president who said, put the transcript out there. I think that, uh, I, I'm calling it a transcript, but put the account, it was a, it was the account right? of, 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 the, of the phone call out there because it will exonerate me. And, I, and I'll scream that louder than anybody else. Uh, this isn't exactly an exoneration, Mr. President. Of course it is. But How is it you? a matter of that we've lost track of what the founding fathers would say? What is and, and again, when we talk about impeachable offenses, this includes treason, bribery, high crimes, and misdemeanors. What, have we lost track of what or become numb to what is now a high crime and a misdemeanor by the Oval Office? It's never been defined. But um, and we sort of know it when we see it. And, and, but and, it's now subjective. It's always, always been, been subjective. subjective, right? It, it because it it's it. There's no precise definition. Um, in the case of Nixon, th- those sins which he was actively concealing for a couple of years and involving everybody around him in a conspiracy of concealment in a secret conspiracy of concealment and and the people who believed in Nixon and supported him felt that the charges were unfair and could not fathom the idea that he was actually right in the middle of a of a major conspiracy of concealment only to discover that they were wrong their faith in him was shattered and Barry Goldwater and these other two leaders right. go to him and say you got four to maybe six votes that's it yep. in the case of in the case of Bill Clinton w- which was a better parallel because there was a lot of hatred of Clinton that was that was just sort of wacky stuff out there of people thinking that that he was 
But he lied under oath. He lied under oath. Correct. He lied under oath. Which is a crime under federal law. And he and he was uh, he was impeached also for. Uh, a, a abuse of power in a in an obstruction situation obstruction where he was yeah. encouraging his the people around him in the cabinet lying to them and encouraging them to be supportive of him that was enough for a political impeachment but not for a bipartisan impeachment and and the democrats said we're not we're not endorsing embracing supporting this horrible behavior but we are not prepared to throw him out of office right. okay, but, for but, those sins. And I think that that's where the parallel exists with right, this. But, with, Sharmila, with you know, what, what seems to me is that much like Alan's point, I mean, let's be clear, it was a strictly political impeachment, which, I mean, the, the impeachment process is a political, it's not a legal process. But the the Republicans kind of botched and lost track of going after Clinton and kind of made it convoluted. It seems like the Democrats are following that roadmap almost identically to an extent. Who is going to be the adult in the room with the Democrats to finally say, okay, let's retract. Everybody stop talking. We either have the evidence or we don't. Let the evidence speak for itself and let this be a truly bipartisan process. Well, right. I think you're absolutely right. The Democrats, similar to the Republicans in the 90s, are letting their dislike of Donald Trump and their, you know, their very obvious and stated dislike of Donald Trump, you know, drive forward the proceedings, which is, you know, partially, again, partially driven by their base and partially driven by a lot of these lawmakers who legitimately find him repulsive in in many ways. I think Nancy Pelosi was trying to be that voice in the room, right? She caught a lot of flack from from progressive activists for the last nine months about why haven't you brought articles of impeachment? Obvi- there's so many grounds to bring them. You know, he's obviously, you know, he deserves to be impeached, right? There are people who've been crying for his impeachment from the day he came into office. And so I think Nancy Pelosi was that adult in the room until she had a viable, she had a viable avenue to both please that left wing, that lefter half right. of the party right. and a legitimate ground to stand on. Rich Rubino, here's my fear. Is that you know it's it's almost that impeachment has become cry wolf, you know you mentioned Clinton and the botched impeachment hearing that that was that was a that was a mess. You look at uh, you look at this and what's happening now. My fear is is that we've become so numb to impeachment that. It almost empowers and emboldens a president like Donald Trump to make him think, you know what, I'm kind of Teflon, I'm untouchable. And going back to his point, you know, even though Bill Clinton committed what would be in all counts an arrestable offense by lying under oath to federal investigators, and we've got Donald Trump and insert a you know, accusation that would be arrestable under federal law here that we become so numb. This just emboldens somebody like Donald Trump into almost an untouchable authoritarian. Are we getting closer and closer to that line every time we breach the impeachment barrier? I think that in terms, well, I think that, you know, as um, I think essentially, you know, impeachment is in the eye of the beholder. And obviously it becomes down to a partisan contest. I mean, the fact that, for example, 
I mean, if you go back to 1998 and try to try to try to assume that it wasn't Bill Clinton, assume that say Bob Dole got elected in '96, and assume the exact same allegations had happened to Bob Dole, you would have had other Republicans defending him, you would have had the Democrats not defending him. So it's become more of a partisan interest more than anything else. But you're right, though. I mean, there have been. You know, it's interesting. There's always kind of impeachment. There's always one or two congressmen that will bring up an impeachment. Like, for example, Walter Jones recently passed away. The congressman from uh, North Carolina brought up an impeachment on, on Barack Obama for the use of for the use of predator drone strikes, for example. Right. Never went anywhere. The, de- the death list. Kucinich the hit list. Brought up, a, brought up impeachment against George W. Bush um, for the for the Iraq War and for the and for and Dick Cheney for lying about weapons of mass destruction. That never went anywhere. Um, and you know, it comes down to one thing, and that comes down to political will. And in terms of Bill Clinton, the reason Bill Clinton survived because people were more concerned about the Dow Jones and Paula Jones. The economy was the economy was humming at the time. His job approval was at 60 percent before it went up to about 78 percent. The American people were saying, "Don't do this. Don't impeach him. Don't convict him." The Republicans essentially, you know, took the dare and they still impeached him even after, um, even after that, even you know, even after the 1998 midterm elections where they became the where Bill Clinton became the first president whose party actually gained seats. In a mid in a six year of the presidency since James Monroe in 1820, so I mean it really comes down to politics more than anything else. And there is always that it's always perilous that every political party could essentially use impeachment um, for just about anything that, but, for just about any sort of offense. You can say we're going to impeach you for this, we're going to impeach you for that. But yeah, but super, a supermajority in the United States Senate, there's no chance it's going to go anywhere in the Senate. And you always have the possibility of the president essentially becoming. The so-called, you know, becoming a victim, and they could say, as Donald Trump said, that he was essentially a victim of lynching. But you know, it's interesting. I'll just say one more thing: when Gerald Ford was the House Minority Leader, there was an impeachment of uh, of Justice of Justice Douglas, and he basically said that you could impeach anyone for just about, I believe, was he could say that you can impeach somebody for just about any reason. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but he said something to that effect. So, um, you know, obviously, if you look at if you look at the wording in the Constitution. High crime, you see, you see bribery, you say, yeah, that's something you can pretty much prove. But then you say, you know, high, other high, you say treason, you can pretty much prove that. But other high crimes and misdemeanors, and that's obviously something that is open to the, obter- the interpretation I mean, the, of any observer. And, of course, you know, you'd like to think of it being objective, right. but always partisan interest, or, parochial interest, right. and um, the interest of where the president's job approval is. Right. And, Okay. Let me go. Alan Moore, you got 30 seconds real quick. Yeah. um, I I was I was reflecting as we were talking about this uh, about about Bill Clinton, who was popular for for a host of reasons, uh, the economy in particular doing well in a sense that these were you know, this was a this was a personal failing that shouldn't cause him to be run out of office. But I'm reminded of what Sharmila said before about O.J. Simpson. Over time, with the passage of time, as people reflected on that president's behavior, the Me Too movement, et cetera, um, uh, a lot of a lot of delayed anger towards Bill Clinton and his behavior towards women came to the fore. The punishment in this case, though, was meted out arguably against his wife um, because okay. he was perceived as a significant albatross around, around her neck her right. neck during that election right. it wasn't the only negative that she had to deal with but it was an important but 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 Charmley, and i'm going to give you the last word 30 seconds real quick the the question for democrats is you know at, at you know if we get into january if we get into 2020 which there are some saying that this impeachment proceeding will go into 2020 it then looks like an election year political hit that almost helps Donald Trump. Uh, is there any sort of calculation going on as far as do we 
do we keep going forward with this? Do we let the inquiry? Because there's now a lot of pressure saying, yeah, we got to, you know, depending on what we hear this week, uh, we got to do articles of impeachment. Is is there anybody that can rein it in? I don't think so. I think that, you know, now the Democrats have boarded this train, they're they're going full steam ahead. Um, I think that, you know, the fact that it's an election year will be unfortunate. I don't know that it will, considering it started far before the election year, I don't think that it'll necessarily, you know, totally blow up in their face. But I think that the, I think their main calculus has to be that 54, that 54% you mentioned, where are they? Are they on the coasts of America or are they actually in the heartland? Right. Are they swing right. voters? Right. Because that's going to make all the difference. Right. And so, and, and right, that's what's going to make the difference. Right. As Alan said about whether these Republican senators are going to actually actually support the inquiry that the American people seem to be inching closer and closer towards. All right. Well, I'm going to let that be the last word. Uh, Real quickly, I I do want to take a minute and reflect on something. Uh, It was announced uh, over the weekend that uh, Maryland Democratic Congressman, chairman of the uh, House Government Oversight Committee, Elijah Cummings, passed away uh, in in Baltimore over the weekend. He was 69. I, I will tell you, a lot a lot of people I've talked to, including in, and I've reflected on this in the times that I've interacted with Chairman Cummings. There was very few people I could say that were as gracious, as approachable, as uh, magnanimous as as Elijah Cummings, you talk about a man who really knew how to make friends on both sides of the aisle. It, this is a man that, that got Trey Gowdy, who is as Republican Trumpy as anyone to come out and do an op-ed in the, in the Washington post over the weekend saying how close his friendship was to Elijah Cummings. Uh, we need more, like we need more members of Congress to look at Elijah Cummings, look at his legacy, look at um, the fact that he was a man of God, he was a man of the people, and he was a man of of of, of incredible, uh, incredible value to the House of Representatives. He was a man of the people, and he represented his district wholeheartedly. Uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to. Uh, the entire uh, Cummings family, uh, the residents of his district, and, and the entire state of Maryland, it, it, it truly is a loss. And I, I just wanted to take a minute to say that uh, his loss is going to be felt and it's going to be hard to fill that void in in Congress. That being said, on behalf of uh, Sean Wachari, thanks for joining us. Love having you in studio. Alan Moore, Rich Rubino up in the Bay State. Special thanks to Rob the Engineer, Eric Thomas, our producer, and Charlie Bernie's in the glass box, our proprietor here at Podcast Lodge. Thank you, Charlie. Uh, We will be back for another episode of the best political podcast you've never downloaded. Backroom Politics. By the way, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow, you can also download our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, any major podcast download. We're there because we're kind of a big deal now. Have a great week, America. We'll see you.